after I knew I wasn't going to play anymore, I, you know, started to develop my relationship with, with Christ. And, and I believe through him, I was able to achieve far more as a coach than I was able to as a player because simply I didn't have him in my life at that time. Mm. That was a clip from last week's podcast and guest, Adam Smith, sharing that a relationship with Jesus wasn't really part of the picture for him as a player. Hi, everyone. This is Reb Brad. You're listening to the Soccer Chaplains United podcast from The Touchline. Today is part two of four in our interview series with Adam, and Adam details his trajectory as a coach leading up to 2019 when he was head coach for Fresno FC. Fresno, a USL championship side, Adam had led to a third-place finish in the table before learning the devastating news with five games to go in that season that the team would cease operations at the end of the year. So hold on, we kick off again with Adam right after this. a little off foot thinking he's going to go far post not strong enough with his right hand whips that one in far post almost made him in and they have he has the hat trick the second in his career the third of the night the hat trick hero talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure to the corner goes towards the near post and you're the angle and what a goal what a goal Talk a little bit about, um, I mean, you move across the pond a couple times, you switch up many different teams, um, you go through this, you're making low wage, uh, you get out of football for a while, at least out of sort of the professional side and do the non-league. But in all of that, um, where did where did you try to find grounding? Because faith wasn't part of that for you. And I, I'm curious, in, in all your travel about, I'd be curious. I mean, this was kind of in the days, uh, looking through your, your CV, that this was kind of in the days before uh, football chaplaincy had really developed either in the UK or in the US. I, I think there were people around these teams. But uh, do you ever remember encountering, other than some of the teammates that you just mentioned, was there anyone like a figure or a chaplain or a pastor who, you know, probably in the UK, they were maybe tied into the teams a little bit earlier before being formalized. But had you encountered anyone else that maybe you, as you look back through some of those clubs and teams and you go, yeah, right, I missed. There was a Revo at this team and I just kind of ignored him or, or no, these people weren't even around. There wasn't. To my knowledge, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying that I didn't miss anything. I'm I'm, I'm sure I've missed a lot in, in my life, as you do when you when you're young and you you think you know everything and you know you think the whole world is 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 about you. But I had an auntie in England who's a Catholic, wonderful lady, Auntie Jean in Liverpool, and uh, she she was definitely a, a positive uh, influence um, in in many ways more so that I see now than perhaps I did back then. But no one in football. It was really, it was really the the the, the brothers at, at, at both clubs that really started to to do things. And then during my time at Wilmington, when I realised that I wasn't going to play, and I, think I was dating a a girl in the town, and we we'd gone through a breakup as well. I was like, there's got to be more. Mm. And I don't want to sound cliche, but I was like, there has to be more 
yeah. to, to this. There's got to be something. And and they invited me to a to a church. I remember the name is Port, Port City Church, I believe it was called. And I think it's still going in Wilmington. The, the pastor there was a guy called Mike, Mike Ashcraft. And um, uh, they invited me to, to, they were doing a talk at the church in one of the, the youth groups before the service. And at this time, the church was just in a school, um, but it had a really good, vibrant vibe. There was a lot of young people from UNCW that went to the church. The music was brilliant. I was like, this is this is unbelievable. Why don't we have anything like this in England? And I, and I think we do now. But so I had reached out on a, on a whim to Mike with a, with an email and um, uh, he responded and I got to meet with him and then he started giving me some CDs to work through and different things. And he was huge. And then I ended up taking a youth job in Atlanta, uh, Georgia. And he said, you've got to go to this, this church called North point. You've got to see Andy Stanley and you've got to go to this event that they have on a Thursday called Seven Twenty Two with Louis Giglio and, and I just, this opened up a whole world uh, to me and it just grew from there and, and there. But, and then from that, you know, that there, there's been um, obviously uh, Pastor Briggs at Sacramento when I went, when I was there as an assistant, he was a big piece. My time at Portland, I had become friendly with, um, with the pastor of the church, um, his name is Brent Deffenbacher, but the church in Oregon that we that that my wife and I attended, and ironically, he is he is here now in 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 Fresno, which is where I am, and he's a, he's a good friend of mine, a good golfing partner as well, and and just through all of those people, um, you know that they have been kind of like the sounding boards, and there's there's two other people that I would I would like to mention. There was a family in Wilmington called the Kenny family. Um, and they have, they had a, or they still do, but they, they, they have a not nonprofit. Um, he's a builder and every, every 10% of every house that he builds and sells that goes back into this charity. And he invited me to the Ukraine, ironically, um, to go and do um, a soccer outreach mission trip at an orphanage. Uh, this is, this is many years ago when I was at, when I was at Wilmington and it was brilliant. That, that was a bit of a life changing experience. And, and, and so he is a big piece and, and I can't forget yourself as well, Rev, but I can't forget um, the most important one. And, and that's my wife. Um, mm. She, she was already working for young life when I met her at, um, she was, she was working with my mom, but she also was working at young life in, in, in California, in, in, in the, in the South Bay and, uh, uh, sort of Manhattan beach and Torrance area. And, uh, we'd been introduced, uh, together when I was at Wilmington, when I was at Long Island and then was at Wilmington, we were, we were friends. And then, um, that friendship when I, when I moved to, um, to Atlanta, developed in into more and and uh she has been a huge you know impact and in, in, in many ways much much stronger than me and, and she's she's still working with young life to, to this day and yeah and, same uh, same more so you guys have this cross-country relationship and yeah she she wins your heart over um yeah, we but, dated when when I was in Atlanta. So once a month we would see each other. Okay. And then um 
Then I took a youth job in, in Iowa. I met a gentleman by the name of Gareth Smith, who, who um, is, is a believer as well. He's from Scotland. He's like one of my best friends. He, uh, he's been the, the head coach at Drake University and, and the state director at Iowa. He now actually works for U.S. soccer on the, on the coach education side. A phenomenal, phenomenal human being. And um, I was working in Iowa. When I when I was moving to Iowa, I was like, and this sounds bad, I was like, there can't be any good looking girls in Iowa. I got to ask my wife to, to, to marry me. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I did. And she's like, I've got to go from Manhattan Beach to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh, and she did. And she moved. She found uh, a place to, to, to live at with the, somebody from the church there just until we got married so she she lived with with you know she had a roommate and then and then we got married um uh, in california but whilst we were living in iowa and then we 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 moved together and, and lived together at the, at the age of 35 uh both of us um you know all all these years with then we finally 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 both get married so wow yeah so, to go from manhattan beach to iowa what a cross <laughs> she had to bear uh we we oh, suffer yeah. for jesus right and she she certainly did in giving that up and, and coming and finding you. That's, yeah. <laughs> I love that part of the story. So, so you've got this transition going on that finds you in the middle of Iowa and kind of your, your coaching is starting to, to take off. Talk a little bit more. Like, did you know, sometimes some of the players that I meet, uh, you know, they don't know, am, am I cut out? Am I, do I really want to coach? Like there's this, gray space where they're they're not quite done playing they could maybe give it a few more years a few more tries but then some people just have this idea like oh yeah you're just going to be a coach and i've I, I know some some people that just process that differently and they go i'm, I'm not sure i want to be a coach was it more natural for you did you have a a questioning period did you think ah oh, maybe i go back to finance i did that i was i was successful at that or or did you go no, no, I think I'm built to be a coach. I, I, I think I challenged myself. You know, I, I mentioned to you before about, okay, I now have a faith and I now understand what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right through him, I can achieve more in the game than I was able to as a player. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a way to, to, to coach in, in Major League Soccer at some level. And so even though I was in the youth game in Iowa, and even though I think it was probably one of the best decisions I'd made in my career, because one, the person I was working with, shared an office with for four years. Um, but also it started to teach me about the management side of things, the putting teams together, programs together, the administration side of things, all the things that, you know, sometimes just a, an out and out coach, you know, they, they don't bother doing per se, or they have other people doing it for them. But it, it really made me get in at the grassroots and, 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 and start to build things from there. Um, but I still had that inkling to that itch to get back into the professional game. Ironically, I had turned down an opportunity from Ziggy Smith, God rest his soul, when he was at, mm. uh, at Columbus, um, just, be, just as I just signed a, a, a two-year contract with the club in Iowa, with the youth club, he calls me and, and says, I, I need you to come in and work with my goalkeepers for preseason. It might turn into something more long-term because there's an issue with my goalie coach. I can't remember who it was at the time or what the issue was, but, um, but I had to say no because I just signed this, this, this agreement and this commitment. And I was like, oh, is this chance ever going to come again? And then fortunately it did. 
you know, through the Portland Timbers, you know, four years later, and I was I was able to fulfill my goal of of, of working in Major League Soccer and you know, not only work with the goalkeepers on the first team there, um, but also put together um, their first academy as well, you know, that you have to within a two-year period of joining Major League Soccer. So yeah. that was yeah. a, a great move for me. And, 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 and um, you know, it got me back into the professional game. Yeah. Um, say a little bit more about coaching. Uh, like as you start to... Uh, build out, craft out your ideas of coaching. Um, is there a particular philosophy? Is there, I mean, one of the aspects of the game that I think are is most appealing to me is the goalkeeper, right? It's it's one of the most unique positions on the field. It's the only player able to use hands within a designated area. But for you, did you did you look at another? Was there someone else? Was it your father? Was it someone else? And in top flight football that you look to and then, and then you sort start crafting maybe style or philosophy. This is how I'm going to coach the goalkeepers. Um, was there anyone that you kind of modeled your own co coaching around? Um, I think so. Goalkeeping was probably the only way that I was going to be able to break into, to the professional ranks um, at, you know, to go back in and go back in at a high level. I, I knew the position inside out, whether I was, you know, a great goalkeeper or not. I, I did know the position and I knew how to coach the position, not just train the position because you can have lots of goalkeeping trainers that can just, you know, smash balls at goalkeepers or whatever and get them working, but actually coach them as well and, um, you know, break down the play. And I just, I just had a knack for it. Um, and I'd learned from so many different goalkeeping coaches along the way and I'd taken the you know the the good, bad and indifferent and sort of crafted my own my own style from 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 what I'd learned, what I'd seen. And and you know, I'd been fortunate enough as well through through my father's business, you know, him having an agency. He he brought several teams over mm. on tour to the US. I mean, I think he did all of Everton's North American trips. Uh, back in 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 the nineties and the early two thousands, um, so I know there was five or six that I I had went, I'd been on, and you know David Moyes would let me jump in with the goalkeepers and work with them, and 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 that was just you know I'd I'd learned things from their goalkeeping staff, and it was it was fantastic, it was a great opportunity. So I think I, I molded my own style, but I didn't know that I was going to go on and start working as a, as a, as a, an assistant coach and then a head coach. Um, I'm glad I did because I soon realized that, you know, trying to be a goalkeeping coach at my age now at 51 would probably be the most painful thing. Uh, <laughs> in, you know, if you're doing it properly, you know, you, you get smashed in yeah. balls every day. It's uh, not good on the hamstrings and the quads and, and the back and, and all the rest of it. So it was, it was ironic really that going, and starting the first academy then led me to coach like the 18s and the 16s and be the reserve team coach as well at Portland. And, and then I just started to fall in love with the idea of having your team and, 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 and just putting pieces of a jigsaw together and hopefully it comes out looking great. So that leads you to Fresno FC and you guys, I remember you guys were pushing you were pushing the leaderboards. I think you guys finished what third in your in your second season of USL Championship. Was that correct? 
Yeah, I mean, I had um, so I jumped just to roll back a little bit. I jumped from the first team at uh, Portland to the academy, um, and then I start after three years with the academy. I started to miss first team football again. So I got the opportunity to go and be Precky's assistant at Sacramento, um, and then he left, and a gentleman called Paul Buckle came in. It was it was really helpful actually. Paul was in 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 sort of pushing me and and identifying. Uh, a strength in me in terms of he felt hey you're ready to go on and be a head coach no one mm-hmm. had re- I'd, I'd worked under a lot of a lot of good head coaches through through my career and, and and again just like I did with goalkeeping coaches learned the good bad and the indifferent from from all the head coaches um and uh he had he he's been I'd say he more than that all of them and even though they all played their part but he, he really pushed to say, hey, you're, you're ready to make the jump. And um, obviously the opportunity, you know, we had a lot of success at Sacramento and then the opportunity came to, to take the Fresno job. And thankful to, to Frank Yallop for, for giving me that opportunity. And uh, I was really eager to, to you know, to, to be successful. It's, it, it's been the best and probably the worst thing that's happened in my life, if, if, if that makes sense, because mm. we're not, I mean, I know there are far worse things, but um, to put it into context, you know, you, you get that chance. If you're not successful, chances of you getting another head job are slim. I mean, even, even if you are successful and, and, and you, you're not in a role, it doesn't mean you're going to get, get another job. It's, you know, there's, there's not ma- there's many people wanting the jobs and not many jobs, I had jobs around, but yeah, first year I just wanted to compete. I think I had two months to put a team together hmm. and a staff together and a medical team and all the other pieces. You know, there was, I turned up after the 2017 USL season. I turned up in the November. We're, we're starting preseason in the February and there's like one front office person, Frank, a ticket guy and myself. And, and then it just sort of grew from there. But so the first year, I just wanted to compete, which we did. We had a spell where we were close to making the playoffs and ended up around mid-table, something like that, or just below mid-table. We had a good run in the Open Cup as well. Um, I think that year, I think it was that year that we played We played at LAFC at the, when they were fairly new as well in the Open Cup. And, and it, it was great, but I knew what pieces I needed in the off-season to, to go and get the team right, knew who I needed to move on, both on the on the staff you know side on the medical side and who i needed to bring in to help in those areas and then who well, what players i needed to to bring in to 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 be the missing pieces of the of, of the jigsaw and uh it, it worked you know we 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 hit the ground running in 2019 and we, yeah we were sitting most of the season sitting second from top we ended up third a point or two or whatever behind i think it was reno i can't remember um and we had, things were going great until you know the the inevitable happened with 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 the team folding um and getting the news with five games to go at the end of that season that i i you know i certainly wouldn't want to wish that situation on on anybody and hmm. it's not something i, I would want to go through again What a difficult moment in space to see your team, your dream, have to shut down. 
Well, we pause the interview there, but we'll be back next week to hear more of how Adam and others worked to assemble the team of Fresno FC and then how things finished out as they closed down operations. Make sure to listen next week for part three. Also, a small favor to ask, would you take a moment, give us a rating, maybe write a review in your favorite podcast player? We'd love for others to hear the stories and more that are coming from the touchline. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks again, everyone, for listening. This is Reb Brad coming to you from the touchline.